0: Uh, welcome everyone. Good afternoon. Uh, good morning. Uh, good evening, depending on on where you are. My name is Eric Harrell. I'm the CEO of Keystone Education Group, um, and welcome to the Keystone Education Group Fireside Chat podcast. Um, I want to welcome Sven Schutt, the CEO of IU University of Applied Sciences uh, in Germany. Um, super excited to to um, chat with Sven today. Um, and the the purpose of this podcast, just generally speaking is there's a lot of change, innovation, a transformation going on in, in higher ed. And the purpose is really to interview those leaders who are driving that innovation, driving that change, being change agents. Um, and I think the story of you know, what Sven has achieved over the last 10 years at IU is extremely interesting. He's definitely um, a big innovator um, in the space. And uh, he's built the university up from 1,000 students to 85, 000, over 85,000 over 10 years, and he's got some very big, big goals. Uh, he wants to be the biggest, uh, l- the largest university in the world. So uh, this is definitely gonna be a very interesting um, discussion. Um, before I start, um, and uh, or before asking Sven to talk a little bit about his background, uh, maybe Sven, you know, welcome, and, and maybe you could start with telling us a little bit and telling the audience a little bit more about I, University of Applied Sciences, you know, facts and figures and mission, Um, And that sort of thing, just so people are kind of grounded on uh, your university, which is the largest university in Germany.
1: Yeah, thanks a lot, Eric, for having me. Uh, And I'm happy to do so. So our vision is that everybody can access education to grow and we try to achieve this with the most learner centric education, um, in particular by leveraging technology. And to to fulfill this vision, we have developed over the last 10 years, the largest European tech player with more than 3,000 colleagues. And as you said, the largest German university with uh, 85,000 students, as well as the largest corporate apprenticeship network with more than 10,000 corporate partners. And at the same time, we also offer the largest degree um, portfolio globally with more than 300 English and German language degrees, and, and the key for us is that we try to offer the most personalized learning experience for broad uh, target groups, ranging from high school leavers to uh, working adults. With the uh, which was which uh, is at the heart of what we do, our edtech platform delivering the richest experience in terms of synchronous and asynchronous, structured and more flexible learning op- uh, options
0: for these target groups across all our offerings. Okay, um, and um, I, I definitely want to dive, we're definitely gonna dive deeper into, into what you guys have done and, and how you've achieved this tremendous growth and also talk about how you intend to be the largest university in the world. But before we we, um, we get there, um, I think the big biggest question I have is how big do you need to be to be the largest university in the world? I think we, got, we need to put some numbers out there. Uh, yeah, so what, what is the, the BHAG? Big hairy blank goal. Yeah, the, the the BHAG
1: is to enroll more than one million students on an annual basis. Currently, Indira Gandhi University in India is the largest university globally, and there's still a couple of years to go and grow for us.
0: Yeah, um, I love BHAGs. I love uh, love the boldness uh, that you guys have, and you know, as I said, it's really impressive what you guys have achieved. Um, I think um, again, just continue on the lines of. Your university, and I think um, I think it's it's great to, that folks have a, a good background now, a little bit of a background on university. But perhaps you could talk a little bit about um, how you guys are different than other universities. You know what market segments you guys are targeting, um, and kind of what your USPs are, what your unique selling points are. How do you how do you differentiate? Uh, how is how is IU different than your your competition?
1: Yeah, as mentioned, we try to deliver the best and most personalized learning experience to uh, promote the individual career progression in the best way. And as said, we, we focus on both high school leavers as well as working adults. Um, and for instance, for high school leavers, we developed a very unique offering which combines study and work. Um, so we recruit both the student as well as the corporate partner. We put the two together and um, thereby we make it possible for those young high school leavers to get the best personal learning pathway towards um, future skills that are relevant, which are not only kind of the conceptual skills you learn in study, but also the skills you have to master um, in this real work environment. And likewise, for our working adults who are working (laughs) in this real life environment, we um, provide the best learning environment that is tailored to the very, very broad requirements. No students have in the sense of that we have both the synchronous and asynchronous option. We No students can learn between a pure online blended format. They can choose from the largest degree portfolio and also choose what is the best uh, exam format for them. And thereby we really take each person as, as an individual uh, to optimize their learning. And we don't kind of turn it the other way around as many of the traditional learning offerings do that you know, it's just kind of the one size fits all for everybody. And this is what we believe uh, the key um, to uh, personal career progression and success. And that is what what sets us apart from many of the other traditional offerings.
0: Okay. So we're going to... We're gonna, you know, um, we're gonna talk more about this and and do a deeper dive on on this and really understand. I think I think it'd be interesting to talk, you know, more details about this. But before we get there, I think um, I'm always interested in hearing about people's journeys, and I'd love to hear your journey uh, and your, you know, your background and how kind of your path to being the CEO of IU. Um, How did you get interested in education and leadership? Uh, Was there something about your upbringing? Um, I think it'd be interesting just to tell people a little bit about. The journey uh, till today, and, and and what just sort of the path that you've taken uh, to that till today. So first of all, I never intended
1: to become a CEO. Um, uh, however, I've been um, luckily brought up in an environment that that's never my, that in which learning has always been a very important part of. Uh, my life. And uh, I always have been interested not only in learning myself, but learning how learning is working. And then I started with a plan to become a faculty person or professor and did my PhD in neuroscience and data science. However, then I realized this is not the right level for me to contribute to this society. Um, Not knowing what I should do, I joined McKinsey. Um, And however, I was lucky that I was able to participate um, in the biggest public sector reform of the German Public Employment Agency, the so-called Bundesagentur for Arbeit. And then I moved over to the kind of public service uh, and headed this reform as the responsible managing director. And while doing so, I realized that really providing the opportunity for everybody to uh, access education is something that uh, is a challenge for all societies. And so I intended to set up my own edtech company 2008. And uh, who remembers 2008? Uh, Suddenly I lost funding overnight um, as many other people uh, experienced back at that time. And so I joined IU um, in 2010 when it was a brick and mortar institution of around 1000 students, as you already mentioned. And it's been a great journey since then. I'm really grateful that I was able
0: to build this up together with our great team. Yeah, I think I think that um, one of the things that when we, we spoke last week you know, in, in preparation for this, um, one of the things that you spoke a lot about, which you spoke about now was of course, equal access to education. And, and that um, one of the things that was kind of motivated you was seeing in in german society that there were a lot of people like if you're if you're wealthy in germany like in many societies if you're wealthy it's much easier for you to get um you know the right education or get access to education that kind of thing and one of the things you were saying it was that you really wanted to make sure that that um germans i mean initially your focus was germany you've obviously expanded outside germany but one thing that was really motivating you was to really you know help those who were not not as fortunate as you um, enable them to to access education. And um, one thing you also talked a lot about um, was this ambition uh, to bring education and your platform to all corners of of the globe, um, and into sort of more of the emerging emerging markets. And one one sort of initiative which which I I found really compelling that I think would be interesting for people to hear about is your initiative in Africa, the Study Access Alliance Africa Initiative, and. Perhaps could you just talk a little bit about what the mission is and mm-hmm. and what you're trying to accomplish and why you're spearheading it and and yeah what's what's really needed to pull this you know to make it happen. Yeah, thanks a lot for asking, Eric.
1: And um, this is the initiative that uh, at least I'm personally most excited about. And as you say, you know, if you're Rich, and uh, from a well of background, it is easy and uh, kind of the African continent overall is perhaps uh, seeing the largest challenge in terms of education in total and higher education particular. So um, just to bring Africa to a world average of um, university enrollment and given all the population growth uh, in this continent, the higher education system needs to expand roughly six times until 2030 which is incredible you know, from any perspective politi- politics perspective but just on the ground perspective as well and what we aim to do with this initiative is to contribute to the expansion and leveraging what we have built so our uh, our idea is that we seek a partnership so that you know, we gain stipends uh, of 1000 euro per student and we top this up roughly by times 10 given our capacity and thereby offer 100,000 students uh, for a start to, to um, yeah, get access to high quality education and we decided that we want to start with on the one hand tech degrees and on the other hand female students given that we believe by this focus we can add most value on the one hand to an underserved you know, uh, part of this of those communities as well as on the economic side there's so much potential across Africa uh, when it comes to tech, and in case any listener is interested in it, uh, feel free to reach out to me afterwards, and uh, I'm happy to share more about this initiative.
0: Yeah, well, it's I mean I'm I think it's a great initiative, obviously, um, and as you were, as you were saying, the uh, the the number of seats available, uh, the demand for education in Africa is 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 huge relative to the supply. And that's of course the beauty of online education is that, that it's unlimited. It's like unlimited, almost like unlimited, unlimited capacity. Um, and we also know that um, you know, in terms of transforming Africa economically, we know education is the key to that. So um, d- definitely um, be a big fan of this initiative to to transform the transform the continent. Um, so I think you know clearly with that goal to to be more than a million enrolled students you know, obviously emerging markets are critical. And so obviously this is, you know, Africa is a, will play an important role in that, in that uh, growth and reaching that, that BHAG. Um, I just want to, um, one of the things I want to try to do is, you know, we kind of have a, a, I think we have a good idea now of kind of what your goals are and, and high level um, how you've achieved the success. And I think one of the things I'd like to do now is, you know, for the benefit of the audience is, is dig a little bit deeper uh, in, into exactly what you're doing um, because one of the things that you've talked about um, when we spoke was uh, the focus on, on, on the customer, you know, and, and, and you the focus on the customer on personalization and on scalability. And you were talking about this in the context of, you know, traditional universities and what they're focused on and what their mission is and what they historically have focused on. So I think you could, if you could talk a little bit about how you, you know, con- con- contrast yourselves with the traditional universities. Um, and I think one thing you've, you clearly done. You talk about the ninety-seven percent customer satisfaction rate, uh, which is obviously very impressive. So you're doing a lot of things right, but I think it would be great is if you could just talk a little bit about in more detail what you're specifically doing uh, around customer centricity, around personalization, um, and yeah, and and scalability because those are th- th- you know three themes that we we spoke about. Yeah. So the, the
1: university value chain is one of the most Complex value chains, you know, at least in the B two C uh, offerings, and hence it is um, it is really something when you have the customer in mind, where you where there is not a single source of truth or you not know, a single point that really optimizes um, the full offering, but you rather have to walk through all of those very complex steps of the value chain, starting with the content development, you know, kind of then the the uh, customer. Enrollment process, the learning delivery and um, managing the outcome. So, unfortunately, there's not a single uh, single secret sauce, but it's really innovating all those steps with the customer in mind, getting all the data points that are relevant, tr- trying to do Experiments, and we do, also we did and do a lot of experience uh, on all those steps in the value chain to really find out what is the best way to, to serve our learners. And um, then you know, based on the data, um, you can optimize this. And maybe just kind of one example on the content production side, we are by far to our knowledge, the, the university that launches most online degree on annual basis. So this year, we uh, we will have or more or less have already given the years over uh, launched 100 new online degrees. And we can only do so at scale, uh, given that we have really developed also kind of a service creation factory at high quality um, to deliver this and integrate all data around what are relevant future skills know what are current uh, students alumni and uh, and future students interested in how is kind of the overall um, labor market evolving and thereby then creating this uh, content uh, creation in a way uh, content um, in a way that it can be delivered across this platform and yeah and and this is at least key in everything you do and when I, um, also knowing kind of more traditional institutions, doing so with quality and scale in mind is uh, based on this data is something that most uh, other universities are not um, kind of really focusing on, but they they have a very uh, bespoke way for uh, let's say each subject or each subject uh, or uh, uh, um, different learning formats um, and integrating this within one platform is at least from our perspective key to really deliver something like this at high quality and so kind of to sum it up one can say we technologized um, higher education And thereby, we believe, made it better, made it more personalized, um, and hence, it is not a kind of one-to-one relationship anymore. But it is an experience our learners or students have, um, where many, many people contribute, and not just the kind of faculty person um, who
0: who teaches the course. Yeah, I mean, one of the things uh, that I mean, in terms of the leaders that I've been that I've been interviewing on the podcast, I'd say pretty much across the board, Um, and and these are innovators, the ones I'm speaking to, like yourself, Um, there's a clear focus on um, taking a market-based approach, um, of course, to developing the curriculum. And I know, uh, and I I mean, I don't wanna put words in your mouth, but I I know in a number of the cases of folks I've been interviewing, leaders, presidents, CEOs, of universities, deans, um, that they are very focused on uh, employment outcomes, uh, salary outcomes, um, they, they measure their success in terms of, um, you know, the number, percentage of, of their students who graduate and a- have a job soon afterwards. Um, and that, that does seem to be, I mean, I was, I was speaking with a college president, and that's something that I think that's really quite um, a, a big change is, is, is this focus on the customer and the, and the outcomes. So
1: it's um... absolutely. I mean, and that is what we do as well. Um, for us, maybe two points to this. No, on the one hand, um, all our models are built in um, employment. No, also for our high school leavers, we directly no, manage that no, our high school leavers start no, their employment and thereby get the best experience. Our working adults, no, by definition, um, and and then for us the key is career progression because everybody is employed mm-hmm. um, and measuring this key uh, this career progression is is what we try to optimize our uh, content and, and degrees and um, uh, delivery f- upon however also to share this and i think this is one of the biggest challenges for education in you know, as a whole and we haven't uh, we haven't cracked this nut as well um, is that career progression is always you know, coming with a delay. And hence, um, it is a challenge for every educator to develop kind of the future oriented you know, um, curriculum that anticipates our life uh, and our uh, work in, I don't know, five to 10 years down the road. But there is knowledge that you can incorporate you know, and uh, and
0: that you should try to incorporate to really be as forward looking as possible. Hmm. So when, you, when you're thinking about, um... You talking about outcomes that we're talking about now, uh, you mean, one of the things I, you mentioned to me was this 97% customer satisfaction rate, which is of course, super high. What, what are, what are the KPIs that you track along the way to, to ensure that you, you have such a high customer satisfaction uh, rating and, and also that you, you have good outcomes for students. What are some of those key measures that you yeah. track? I mean, there are many important measures. On the one hand, is
1: indeed in not just customer satisfaction or net promoter score is is a key measure for everything we do. There are also um, measures in terms of kind of the the, the quality. Assurance for each of those processes being, I don't know, satisfaction with the life teaching, satisfaction with the services you get, and actually assessment whether a student actually has progressed in their skills. So you can also measure skill progression, which we do, and thereby for each each key part of this value chain of uh, given that we have this Tayloristic approach, you can try to define a KPI. And uh, that is not that not only forward looking as we just discussed on the career progression, but much closer and thereby just rely on the students and and their kind of uh, also self assessment, whether what they learn, actually, they think it will help them, it is at least one of the key Starting points, uh, if there is nothing else available, um, and so integrating all these different KPIs in a meaningful way for each of those uh, steps in the value chain is what we try to do. And uh, I think you know, that is driving us to to innovate
0: uh, based on this data. Hmm. Again, I mean, with with such a high customer satisfaction rating, you, you're you're obviously doing something right. Clearly, very right. Um, with your teaching methods, the educational tools or you're using. And I think it would be really interesting to just hear um, what, maybe if you could be more concrete, sort of the, what is a typical week in the life of an IU student? Um, What educational tools are they using? What software programs are they using? Uh, What teaching methods are being employed by um, by professors? Mm First of all, there is no typical I student,
1: <laughs> given that we have such a broad range of different uh, people. However, the, um, also ranging from high school leavers to actually old age, uh, looked it up uh, for us. So our oldest students is now close to 80, which is a little bit unusual, but it's just a person who decided to study with us um, less with a kind of career focus in mind, but still uh, loved obviously to develop further. However, let's let's talk about a traditional working adult students who are um, the, uh, the majority of all our students who has has a regular work week and for, for this target group, uh, our uh, students, they would Normally participate in live tutorials in the evening or live interactive lectures in the evening, um, and on top of this, those students will leverage our app. Of in, in at other times of the day, for instance, while commuting, people are not commuting anymore. But if they would, <laughs> given that they sometimes go back to office now, um, and uh, on top of it, they can ask questions anytime in our course feed, uh, and, and all those solutions, however, are. Kind of bespoke uh, developed by by us, so it, it's kind of not uh, uh, something off the shelf, but those are um, yeah, uh, the customer centric developments. And uh, on top of it, they can decide to write an exam anytime, twenty four seven, online, and immediately. So um, many of our students uh, make use of this opportunity, in particular at weekends, but any other odd times that um, that just fits their. Also, on the one hand, kind of concentration high, best, but also their their schedule. We also have people even in Central Europe who take exams at one o'clock in the morning for whatever reasons <laughs> I don't know of, but um, that's just what they do, and that is kind of the, the breadth of how our students can can learn. Um, yeah, kind of on a
0: typical whatever week. Okay, that's that's helpful. So, so I think um, I think. It's it's pretty clear you guys um, have had tremendous success. Uh, I mean the growth has been absolutely incredible, um, and you know I think I think one of the things I learned uh, a long time ago is that um, you can have the best product and service in the world, but it doesn't guarantee that people are going to come. So I mean you guys have clearly you know delivered are delivering a fantastic service uh, to your customers, and they're they're reacting to that with very high ratings, and and then of course you're enrolling more students there are some people on this call who um or many people on this call who are going to be interested of course also in how you've been able to recruit students so what's been what have been sort of the most effective ways uh, for you guys to actually uh, market um your your service you know your your educational you know, your platform what would have been the best channels for that how have you gone about doing it what's what's been your approach so key in having a successful product is that you have
1: a very good product market fit. And that is what we always try to do. So just to have the best offering for our students. So roughly 40% of our students are coming also for all those online marketeers amongst us from non paid channels, um, which can be you know referral or whatever organic um, channels. And it's simply by having... the best and in some cases kind of the only offering that really fits the interest of the students is is key. However, beyond this, we also try to um, provide the best kind of onboarding um, for our students. It is uh, Studying, in particular for working adults, is one of the uh, most challenging and actually not only costly but also time-consuming decisions you you have to do, and thereby give our uh, our potential students a very good insight into how they learn with us and uh, how this works. You know, being very transparent around this um, is key. And then, yeah, in terms of recruitment, uh, we obviously use kind of the the. the, the um, Obvious online marketing channels. Um, I'm not sure whether some, some somebody from Google is on this call, but uh, as every other education institutions, also we make Google rich. Um, but um, we also recruit you know, with, with our um, partners uh, like you, you know, who who are for us a very important part, given that you know, platforms that that offer a wide range of um education offerings are for us a very important part given that we just have such a positive offering where where
0: people then in the end uh, find us and choose us Hmm. um that's helpful and i think there's i think as i mentioned there um are you know in terms of the audience a lot of folks in the audience are presidents deans ceos of, of all the universities and um i mean what what advice would you give them? I mean, you know, learnings from your, from your success, what advice would you give them in terms of, um, because there are a lot of universities out there that, that are, you know, have, are, have, are traditional, right. They've been traditional universities has been, it's been off, it's been on campus, on campus experience. We, we know that a lot of universities are expanding, you know, into online pretty, pretty, uh, pretty proactively. Um, what, what's, would be some of your, you know, top three bits of advice you'd give them, you know, Coming at it from a traditional university and launching um, an online, you know, online educational program, what would be some some advice you'd give them? Well, number one,
1: and that is a little bit difficult. I'm aware of this for a traditional university. Is, um, however, set it up in a in a separate organizational unit. That is also what we did you know, because traditional a traditional university, both faculty as well as uh, other environments. Are so different from from a truly student-centred online experience. So if you have the opportunity, that is at least the most important um, yeah, advice I can give. And then secondly, you need to have very good customer-centric, a very good customer-centric, not only tech team but kind of overall team who is willing to innovate um, with the customer in mind. It sounds easier (laughs) than it's done, um, given the challenges of university regulation and so on. So you really need to have people that, that, um, yes, can think within this regulatory uh, regime, but also are able to think out of the box and make this um, work under university regulation. Um, That's number two. And number three, really be able to kind of innovate and see every mistake uh, as the path to success um, it, it's as, like us we've built this over 10 years no? it didn't work from day one um, at least not at the level that we currently uh, are, are able to deliver both quality as well as um, yeah very high satisfaction and outcome so you need to you need to have a longer timeline um, and uh, you obviously also need to communicate this to your, whomever, shareholder, stakeholder, um, that it's not going to be built in 12 months, uh, but you need to innovate simply given the complexity of the value chain and, um, and have have kind of the breadth and the length and
0: then also the means to do it. Hmm. Maybe this is a good opportunity if you to talk a little bit about your, I mean, your white label uh, program, where right? you have a, you, as my, if, if I recall from our chat, you 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 can act as an OPM, right? You can actually accelerate the path for traditional universities to to launch online programs. Maybe you could talk a little bit about yeah. what you're doing in that area, because I think it's super interesting. Um, yeah, yeah. Thanks. That's what we
1: decided roughly in the beginning of this year to actually fulfill our vision faster and better. That we also offer what what we have developed to other both universities, as well as employers, as well as uh, other educators across the world, Um, we are not a traditional OPM, but we, uh, uh, in the sense of that we do uh, kind of bespoke um, things, but we partner with other universities in in a number of ways so that uh, universities can leverage our platform and use this to expand their on the one hand no online offering but also degree offering given that we have this uh no, wide range in particular in future skills topic like ai data science ux um and and cyber security kind of all those um yeah, evolving topics which we continue to expand and just for uh, so so we do so for as said for universities but we also do so for Employers, for instance, we just uh, recently set up um, kind of a white or co-label corporate university with the Deutsche Bahn. It's kind of the biggest, one of the biggest German companies with 300,000 employers and and a number of other um, players. So uh, the corporate players where we again can integrate what we do with the corporate training offering. And we think this is a great opportunity on the one hand to really make our capabilities available to a wider range of um, potential learners. And on the other hand, it, it helps particular universities and, and likewise uh, educators to, um, yeah, not to reinvent the wheel, uh, but tap into our 10 year experience. And kind of again, if you,
0: if anybody's interested, feel free to reach out to me
1: and we are happy to help.
0: Yeah, that's great. Uh... Definitely on the minds of every, or it should be on the minds of every uh, president, CEO, dean of uh, every university in the world. Is, which is, you know, how to how to move online. So it's a big opportunity, and uh, for them, as a, as a thinking about from a business standpoint. But it's also a great opportunity to educate more pe- more people. So it's you know about you know, expanding the market uh, for higher education. Uh, one one thing I always like to I um, ask. It's it's um, uh, just a segue into this. Is I, I'm always interested in. In sort of, because um, I'm speaking to you know CEOs, leaders like yourselves, and there are many leaders, academic leaders on, on the call. It would be great to just um, hear a little bit about what a typical week is for you, um, although maybe it's not so typical. But what a typical week might be, how you spend your time, and what you think makes for a great CEO of a you know educational institution, and, and kind of what your leadership mantras are. It'd be great to just kind of hear your thoughts on leadership. It's it's certainly an interest of mine. I know many on the call. I'm happy to share. And
1: um, g- given that I also graduated in philosophy a while ago, I think the, the key for any any great leader is kind of to uh, be aware uh, that uh, kind of uh, uh, that of the Socrates inside that uh, I know that I don't know anything. Um, and that's kind of the way to start. Um, and, and secondly, you know, be aware that it's always other people and and the team who makes the difference and hence you need to build the best team that you can build and foster it within the best culture and thirdly to find the best balance for your business between living in the future but also being firmly grounded in the daily operations as uh, you know, every leader might know and not being dragged down too much, but also you not know, taking care of the business in a meaningful sense. And what I, for instance, do every week is kind of to reflect, uh, you know, do I kind of find this balance right? And you know, what do I need to to um, reshuffle again? So um, that, is, that is at least my top three kind of mantras or advices I can give.
0: And, and, and I'm, I'm, I'm really interested in this, and I, get, I get asked this question as well myself, but um, how do you spend your time? Where, where do you spend most of your time during the week? I mean, if you look at your schedule besides doing a podcast uh, with, with Keystone, I mean, how else are you spending your time?
1: So, so it has changed dramatically since COVID. Uh, obviously, I now spend my time in these kind of Zoom Zoom rooms, uh, while beforehand I, I had a much uh, yeah tougher uh, travel schedule. Um, but I try to really interact on the one hand you know, with our various business lines, also in a deep way. So I don't. I believe in uh, in in great leaders to find a good balance between going broad and going deep. Um, so no, you really need to be on top of key initiatives that you, know, you think contribute to yeah, your business outcome. And obviously, on the other hand, you know, yeah, try to spend also as much time getting insights uh, from your partners as well as customers. And that is at least how I try to balance my time.
0: Um, that's great. That's always that interesting to hit, hear from from other CEOs on, on, how, they, on how they spend their time. Um, I'm going to I'm gonna, I'm gonna take some questions from the audience in, in a minute, but there's one other question that I wanted to ask before doing so. Um, I'd be curious to know, um, what will IU look like in 10 years? What's, what, what Just describe IU in 10 years. I said we at least recruit
1: more than 1 million uh, students. However, what I particularly believe will change is the way we deliver education. The, the biggest change that we are kind of trying uh, to uh, work upon will be that you know, teaching will will not happen as we are used to today, but there will be in 10 years time, teaching a, a, a very elaborate teaching, but that might be much better than today to really personalize education in a much more meaningful fashion and thereby really, accompany our learners, not only kind of in a more formal learning setup, but also kind of across the day to just provide feedback, provide learning nudges, and um, thereby really make learning a part of everyday life experience and, um, and in a way that no faculty and and no
0: traditional teaching format could ever deliver. Mm. Okay. So let me just get to some, thank you. Let me get to some questions and, and I have more, but I, but I feel like I should, I should uh, uh, jump on some questions. So I'm just going to read them. Um, one here from Thomas, um, what are the completion rates and if possible by broad discipline categories, natural slash life sciences, so, social sciences, etc.? So
1: for us, it makes more sense not to do by categories, but rather by formats. Né? So, for instance, our high school leavers have uh, graduation rates of around seventy uh, percent, and um, for our working adults, it differs between master and uh, bachelor. So, for master, we are around the same level; for bachelor, we are a little bit lower. There, we are around fifty percent. However, um, also who who is aware of um, self-paced working at our online formats, we are there kind of top of class, given the, the big challenges you have, uh, at least our learners have to kind of balance everything.
0: Okay, no, great. Thanks for that. And then we have a question from Kareem. Um, any experience with offering medical or health sciences programs at IU online? And how do you overcome regulatory and practical clinical requirements? Unfortunately, not. We
1: have some. Uh, we are not offering currently medical, uh, as a medicine, so to say, and uh, also on the health side, we focus currently on, on the kind of non-practical degree parts. Uh, so I cannot really help with this.
0: But is is but on this on this point? Do you, I mean, do you see yourselves getting into offering medical degrees and nursing degrees and uh, getting into the healthcare field? Because I mean. It's mm-hmm. a, a massive industry. We know that, you know, the healthcare industry. So. That
1: is so. And and yes, we have this uh, on our uh, kind of midterm roadmap. Um, however, we are aware that at least kind of a, a medical degree in itself will, will require significant um, Practical experience that cannot be delivered fully online, and I guess uh, at least at least now, I guess there's no one in the audience who wants to be treated by by uh, a medical person who completely learned everything online. However, uh, we looked at it. Actually, to, 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 to there are a significant fraction also of a medical curriculum that that, that is possible to deliver online. Also, uh, kind of the uh, the anatomical part of it is there. are Also, now very good uh, um, AR VR solutions. So. Um, there, there, is, uh, there is a huge kind of benefit um, that also those study programs can have from, from a better blended experience, but it's simply currently not feasible to do this fully online for a number of reasons.
0: Yeah, but you guys, you guys of course, offer both, right? You offer the hybrid, the, the, the online and like on, on campus. So, so you, I guess you guys could be set up for it, but it's not something you're focused on right now. Um, we have a, a, um, a question here from um, Amina. Um, the question is, today, the university, I guess, her university, her university is struggling with, um, uh, I guess, between benchmarking, ranking internationally and working with a local environment. How, how does the university, how can a university balance um, those things?
1: The sad thing about uh, ranking international is that the, the, most of those rankings are not not focusing on student outcome and career progression of students, but rather on research. And hence, I personally believe those rankings are a little bit broken. There is obviously you know, uh, a um, a value for research institutions, but uh, no, a great researcher is not a great teacher. There are some <laughs> who combine this, but it's also, having done research myself, um, uh, um, no, I it, it is simply very, very different competencies uh, that do not need to go together. And hence, I do not have an easy answer how to balance this. Uh, I can just say that um, I think it's important for an institution to be clear what the priorities are. For us, it is you know, helping students to grow and not exceeding international research rankings. Um, I think doing both kind of top of class is more or less impossible. Mm-hmm. So I, I can only suggest that an institution should kind of choose one or the other um, and not try to do both at the same time.
0: Interesting. How, how do you, I mean, what would you like to see? I mean, for one thing, I mean, you've kind of answered this to some extent, but how do you guys, I mean, how do you focus on rankings? And, and two, um, how should rankings change? I mean, if you could come up with a new formula, what, what, what criteria would you use? Uh, so we've, how you'd weight those different things. I'd be interested. Yeah. So we focus on, also we focus in terms of rankings
1: and, and there, there are some uh, on kind of student satisfaction rankings and then not that well on, on career outcome because it's, I guess, more challenging to really get good data on it. However, that and career outcome is not just kind of the, the overall success of a student, but actually the improvement um, of their career given where they started and uh, that is not easy to measure and there are not that many good measures currently uh, available and so that that is what we focus on and I would I I would love to see that um, there will be more kind of rankings that focus actually on the kind of student satisfaction progression and outcome and and in the end also that students realize that this is what they are looking for, and this is what they should choose. And as, as you see with us, no, um, many students are aware of this, and that is why they choose us and and, and likewise institutions. Yeah. But this is, I'm not sure whether uh, um, whether Times Higher
0: Education or other rankings uh, um, will change in the near future. Yeah, but it's an interesting perspective. Uh, of, of course, it makes sense. Is is student outcomes you know are clearly important i mean that's that's the that's what you're paying for right i mean yeah cool to get a, to end up uh, with a good job i mean that's and, why point of school exactly and uh, research so.
1: output has has nothing to do with it so it is actually amazing you know, that, uh, you know, that that we end up with the rankings that we have it's just kind of traditional um, but i uh, don't I, I, I've i never met uh, any person who uh, who truly believed that a, a great researcher is always kind of it's the necessary condition for a great teacher. It's simply there's different skills and they can come together, but not ne- they don't not necessarily have to go together.
0: Okay, no, it's great. It's a, this is a ranking, it's a really interesting topic. Um, and uh, yeah, it's it seems like there's some opportunity for Transformation there <laughs> to some to some extent at least. Um, we have some more questions from uh, Kareem. Um, uh, just kind of a couple of them. He's uh, he's asking about um, cross geography accreditation challenges and how IU overcomes them. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's one question. I can go to the next one after you that yeah. one. Yes,
1: I mean we we started you know, to um, uh, also accredit all our kind of German accredited English language degrees under the UK regime. Yes, there are always uh, challenges to um, to do so. However, if you have a competency-based um, forward-looking curriculum for us, it worked very well. Um, and I mean, that, that is obviously something that w- where you need to, um, where this rich personalization helped us to do so. Um, and hence, it is a little difficult for me to comment on, on, on other parts, but having this flexibility and uh, broad um, teaching methods, as well as the future skills and competency or, uh, orientation, help us to, to overcome those challenges.
0: Okay, um, another question from Kareem: um, Are the research opportunities open at IU? Do you see IQ, IU faculty getting enough traction when it comes to grants and research collaboration? we do not have
1: pure research faculty we know uh, we we focus with us on uh, faculty who love and like teaching but uh, on the side they also uh, do research um, however focusing on applied research because we believe this um, this applied research contributes most to our teaching quality and
0: uh, that is how we are set up could you talk maybe could talk a little bit about the summer we spoke about last week you talked maybe a little bit about um, how your faculty set up and, and the breakdown between sort of full-time and and mm-hmm. sort of non-full-time and, and sort of your approach and how that links in with your uh, curriculum and curriculum development? Yeah, So
1: obviously, given that we also have and do reinvent our teaching methods, a key kind of requirement for our colleagues in the faculty um, is that they that they like kind of this innovation and also like this change knowing that this is not always easy um, for each and every person Um, but that that, innovating teaching is part of what we do and hence we are looking for uh, colleagues in our faculty who who also like this and for instance if you apply uh, with us as a faculty person um, then um, for for a faculty position, you know, the first thing is you end in a, uh, also alongside everything else, but also a, a video lecture. So that you know, we see uh, you know, that, that that you feel comfortable with this format, um, and that the you know, faculty has more the role of a coach um, in this online environment than the traditional face-to-face uh, yeah, teaching experience. We still have this, but also this face-to-face is in a blended format. So it always needs to be integrated with all the tools and opportunities that we have. And um, our faculty on top of it uh, has um, always five years of practical experience. We believe that this makes a lot of sense, um, given that we educate not for research careers, but we educate for kind of the work environment out there. And um, and hence, we also have roughly half of our faculty that is actually uh, only kind of a 50% um, half-time faculty with us and has another uh, occupation in the real life, whatever uh, that is um, beyond teaching and thereby has the opportunity to also participate directly in in new trends, developments
0: uh, in in their area of expertise. Hmm. Okay. That's that's helpful. Um, so I'm just again going down the list of questions and thank you everyone for your questions. I have a question here from Ibrahim. Which countries do you expect to be growing in, in, the, in the next five years uh, when it comes to online degrees? What do you what do you think are the top market, market growth opportunities from a geographic perspective uh, for IU?
1: As mentioned with our study Access Alliance in Africa, we believe kind of the African continent, in particular, kind of the large countries in Africa, Um, given the the supply-demand challenge of higher education there, there we will see in total the largest growth. Um, Nigeria is the largest country population-wise in Africa, and hence uh, we believe this this, will be one of the largest countries, but also Southeast Asia, India, simply from a similar perspective, Population growth, as well as demand for high-quality education, is just very, very large, and in those places, we believe that we also see the largest
0: growth in terms of online degrees in the next couple of years.
1: Hmm.
0: Sort of um, a, a follow on question from Ibrahim, because um, my my understanding is that you guys focus on degrees, right? Uh, on uh, how about certificates? I mean, do you are you um, short, short like? short certificates, you know, like a certificate in data science or, I mean, are you, is that um, an area of, is that something you guys are in currently? If not, do you have plans to get into sort of that area? So so we, yeah, no, no, good question.
1: (laughs) I Left this out uh, to uh, minimize complexity. However, we have built our whole curriculum in a way that it's stackable um, so that we also offer the opportunity for students to start with us with a yeah shorter course uh, we call those nano degrees or diplomas and then progress um, kind of smoothly whenever they they uh, feel it fits with their own objectives towards a full degree if they want to, but they don't have to. Um, we, we offer this uh, in Germany already, and we are in the process of also rolling this out to other places. But we also, uh, in particular, have started to, to offer this in partnerships with other institutions for whom this uh, is relevant, and see that you know, this stackability in a fully integrated um, degree platform is something that is really um also a key part of personalizing education in a way not everybody at least not today wants to commit to a full degree but you know, having the optionality to progress to a degree is, is an important part for many for many of our potential learners and that is why know uh, why we have built this in
0: a stackable fashion. Got it No, it's, it's, it's a very interesting area. We, you know we obviously see more employers open to taking folks with certificates versus a, you know a full, full degree. It's an interesting area Uh, uh, for the future. Uh, We have a question from James. Uh, Do student clients ask what accreditation or accrediting bodies your degrees have?
1: As a kind of not in Germany, because we are so well known. We have the largest uh, university in Germany and kind of there's a relatively clear setup. Obviously, when it comes to other places in the world, uh, it gets more complicated and hence, Yes, uh, there we are. Uh, uh, asked now and then and uh, this is one of the challenges of the kind of very fragmented um, different regulatory schemes we have in, uh, in in education across the globe and that is also why we um, have started to build a multinational accreditation platform in which we aim to as we already have the UK as well as the German accreditation aim to add additional um Regional accreditation, where it adds value really to our students.
0: Yeah, because one of the things, that, I mean, my understand, you're also expanding into new geographies, right? So you're you're getting into France, Germany, and the UK. Those are the three next uh, growth markets. Germany, we already know Spain. Right. Spain. <laughs> all good, yeah.
1: all good, Eric. <laughs> well, no, Spain. Uh, so in, in principle, we offer what we do across the globe, but we yeah. will come. Uh, we will get more meaningful uh, into those uh, three large European countries, uh, and there. Currently, we operate under the assumption and we see that it works, you know, that we have this UK-German accreditation. Obviously, you know, those are two, also two uh, European countries with, with a well-established education system. And that uh, seems to resonate also in countries like Spain and France. However, uh, we we realize that, um, and, and that is what we are currently also doing, uh, kind of localize also our degree language so that we also offer... Uh, we are, uh, uh, degrees then in in Spanish and French, just to make it possible for for those target uh, for students to to learn in their in their mother tongue, because you know, also like in Germany, that is why we have many German degrees. Uh, it is always a challenge to
0: to learn uh, in a foreign language. Okay, so just uh, some more questions here. Um, we have a question here from Mary, and she's asking about. Um, she said she wanted to, the the sound wasn't clear for whatever reason. She'd like to hear uh, more about how you're recruiting students. What's what's worked the best for you when it comes to recruiting students onto your platform? Uh, So Mary, uh, kind of
1: the key point that I mentioned is that you need to have a very, very good product market fit. uh, And that is why we have uh, around 40% of our students starting with us uh, from what we call kind of unpaid channels. However, elsewise, uh, the, the uh, one B channel for us, as for every uh, other education st- institution, I believe, is Google to some extent, né? but also as co- a cooperation partners like what Eric is doing mm-hmm. um, uh, and, and heading. So, um, kind of big platforms where there is a broad range of potential offerings. And um, given that we have a very attractive and broad offering for many many students, those, uh, these kind of, kind of agglomerating platforms are, um, are for us a very important recruitment channel in particular on the international side.
0: Okay, and then we have another question from Mary. Uh, so hope that, yeah, another and question from Mary, just a follow-up question. And I'll kind of just sort of paraphrase it, um, but she's, um, what she's asking about is sort of the, the teaching, teaching methodology. And she was just, she's talking about the fact that the, the teachings change where you know where you know, historically it's been more of the teacher in charge, uh more lecture format. Um and, and now, you know, what she's seeing is that students are being more autonomous and the, the teacher's there to support them. Um, there's more independence among among students. Um, and uh and she just was asking about your, I guess ultimately your your philosophy and your perspective on on teaching. What is what yeah. is the IU teaching philosophy on, on the role of the teacher versus the role of the student? learning is,
1: as I, I completely agree uh, with with, um, with you, Mary, in the sense of learning is a personalized endeavor or personal endeavor, uh, and a teacher is not a person who kind of, whatever, uh, fills knowledge in your head, but um, is a coach who enables this learning journey when necessary. Um, and I mean, also being father of kids, it is really sad to see how schools kind of force all pupils to learn the same stuff at the same time in the same pace. And this is not how people learn. And hence uh, we we try to um, make, put the student in the center in the sense of that he or she can decide both what they want to learn, when they will learn it, how they learn it, and have the teacher only um, when it's necessary to intervene and help uh, and guide uh, the, the learning, uh, obviously there's also a motivational component for some of uh, our students. They just need to have a more structured format; otherwise, no, that they, they cannot uh, they cannot master it. But also, this should be done in a in a willing way and shouldn't be forced. No, we're talking about adult people and adults. Are adult enough to decide what they want to learn and how they they do this and shouldn't be forced by others, uh, as long as it's not necessary.
0: Yeah, That's terrific. Thanks for that. Um, we have uh, a, one final question from um, Liadi and he's uh, or, or uh, the person is asking about um, how we, they can contact you. Um, um, I would like to contact Sven directly discuss a potential partnership. So, what's the best way for just, just contact me on
1: LinkedIn? Uh, so I think you find my name. It's relatively there are not that many people called Sven Schütz and uh, at IU. And uh, contact me maybe just as a, a, a few sentences around um, kind of this podcast, and then
0: uh, we take it from there. And happy, happy to contact whomever wants to. Um, we're coming up to the uh, to the end. Unfortunately, uh, it's been a really interesting discussion. Is there any any sort of uh, parting words? Any sort of um, words of wisdom you would like to pass on, or uh, other thoughts to, to the listeners? As a, words of wisdom is a little bit over exaggerated. However,
1: the, the great thing about learning is that there are still so many things how we can innovate this, uh, and and every every. every person in this uh, audience and and everybody can still innovate it. It's, it's far from being what it should be that it really uh, makes, yeah, our students and learners grow uh, within not only their career, but also as a person and learning is, is from my perspective, one of the key elements of being human and, um, and leveraging everything that we can and doing this in a way that it is really the best personal experience is something that is i think really rewarding and exciting and i i hope that uh, we will see many innovations along this we haven't as we, we are by far from the end of our kind of innovation potential and pipeline and i believe you know, that, that it, it will be rather the a decade of uh, great
0: innovations
1: in teaching even more so than the last ten years, so that is what I'm looking forward to.
0: Nice, uh, terrific. Um, well, I um, I just want to say thanks. Um, I'm I've been really inspired. Uh, the conversation we had last week, conversation today, it's it's really inspiring. Uh, so so thanks for sharing, you know, your vision and and your wisdom and your experiences with us and with with the audience, and uh, we're all going to be watching. Uh, uh, you continue to grow towards that over one million enrollments, and we're definitely um, rooting for you. You know, it's the famous um, Mandela quote, right? Uh, Education is the most powerful weapon which you can use to change the world. Uh, so, so um, we're we're definitely cheering you on uh, as you as you grow over a million students, because we know you we know IU is having tremendous impact. So, thanks for your time, and um, and take care. Thanks. Thanks. Thanks for everyone. having me listening. Thanks. Thanks. Cheers. Thank you, bye.